Good morning, everyone. It's Easter Sunday, and even though we're not together, we can surely lift our hearts before God together as we celebrate in a very specific way the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The prophet Samuel in the Old Testament in his farewell address to the people of Israel said in 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Consider means to see, to look at, inspect, perceive, regard, learn about, observe. In other words, give attention to. And that last definition, give attention to, gets my attention. Why? Because this call for God's people to consider what God has done for us is repeated over and over and over all through the Bible. When God repeatedly tells us something over and over again, that means it is very important, whether we think it is or not. And it's for a very good reason. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 2 and 3, Moses retells the events of God delivering his people from Egypt. The focus is on what God did, which tells us a lot about who God is. Consider the discipline or the instruction of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh. And then Moses continues by describing what God did in verses 4 through 7 to Pharaoh's army, to his own people in the wilderness, which is explained in detail in Psalm 78, and to the rebels who led many of the Israelites to grumble and gripe about seemingly everything. So we get a very clear picture of God mercifully dealing and providing for his people, along with God's holiness and judgment of sin. And all of this is what God's people are called to consider. This story is told over and over again in many key moments as God's people head for the promised land, and also as the people possess the promised land. It's a key part of the regular feasts and times of remembrance. Moses also instructs the adults who saw all of these events that it's their responsibility to teach their children to consider all these things about God. It's our job to consider everything God tells us about himself and his word and to pass that on. At the end of Moses' life, he wrote a song that was taught to all of Israel so that God's faithful dealings with them would be remembered. It's in Deuteronomy 32, and it's not short, but in verse 7 we see this. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. After verse 7, the whole history of God's dealings with his people Israel is recounted. We should also ask a question here. 
What happens when we don't consider and remember? When we don't give attention to, don't look at closely, don't learn about, and don't focus on who God is, what he is like, and what he has done. Well, in Psalm 106, verse 7, we see an answer to that very question. We read there, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. There is an incredibly clear and unmistakable connection between our considering and remembering who God is and what God has done with our faith and obedience. Part of the reason God has told us so much about himself and his work is to increase our hunger to know him, our trust in him, our contentment in him, our faith in him, our obedience to him, our gratitude for him, our praise to him, our hope in him, and our enjoyment of him. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, the revelation of who God is and what he has done. In Jesus, we see the revelation of who God is and what he does. Jesus told his disciples certain things, hard things, about how the world hates him and therefore them too. Why? To discourage them? No, just the opposite. John 16, verse 1 and 4, we read, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So God, in his incredible grace to us in Christ, reveals everything. We need to know about him in his word. Not everything we want to know, but everything he knows we need to know. Christ constantly called his disciples to remember things he did so they would understand and trust him in whatever situations they found themselves. In Matthew 16, Verses 9 through 10, the disciples were upset on one occasion that they'd forgotten to bring any bread with them. They were clueless and kept on discussing their lack of bread. And Jesus then said, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Here, right after Jesus had fed the 4,000 by creating food out of nothing, his disciples were griping that they'd forgotten to bring any bread to their new location. What did they need to remember? Well, 
what Jesus had just done. Jesus makes a direct connection of their not remembering to their little faith in chapter 16, verse 8. Every year when Easter comes around, we have a particular opportunity and responsibility to consider and remember what happened during this whole Passion Week over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Last Sunday was the beginning of the momentous events of the week Jesus was crucified. Jesus rode into Jerusalem from, from Bethany purposefully on a donkey in what is called the triumphal entry. Everything he did fulfilled every detail of scripture. As he made his way slowly into the city, huge crowds lined the road shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, which was a quote of Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. Hosanna is an emphatic Hebrew word meaning save us now. The crowds then, to a large degree, were proclaiming Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah. These people were mainly pilgrims from the countryside who had come to Jerusalem for Passover at the end of the week, and many were from Galilee, where Jesus had spent most of his time in his ministry. Well, did they really understand how Jesus saves? Probably not. They expected him to establish his kingdom right then and there, mainly looking for a political kingdom which would deliver them from Roman oppression. John writes in his gospel, John 12:16, that even Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It's interesting that many had seen the signs Jesus performed and so recognized his authority. But even though they missed what kind of kingdom his kingdom would be, they did use their Old Testament scriptures to show their recognition of who he really was. In Zechariah 9 verse 9, we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is exactly what the crowds did as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, laying down palm branches and cloaks before the one who came on a donkey. An even better title for this event would be the presentation of the king. 
The Pharisees' response is what we would expect in Luke 19, verses 39 and 40. And some in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Later that Sunday evening, in Jerusalem, Jesus went into the temple. He looked around and then returned to Bethany. The next day, on Monday, there were two main events, both of which revealed God's real evaluation of, first, the nation of Israel in general, and second, the Jewish religious leaders in particular. Jesus' cursing of the fig tree was not mainly because Jesus was hungry, but he used that situation instead to show how Israel was making a false profession of their faith in God. The nation in general believed itself to be worshipers of God, but Jesus knew that as a nation, under mainly wicked leadership, they would reject and kill him just four days from then. Then when entering the city, Jesus wept over the state of Jerusalem's hearts, knowing they did not recognize that the one they'd been waiting for for hundreds of years was now among them, and yet they would kill him. Jesus also pronounced judgment upon Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. And this judgment came about three decades later when Rome destroyed it. Finally, Jesus also cleansed the temple an astonishing and eye-popping display of his absolute authority over all things and men. And again, much of this in his teaching afterward was directed at the Jewish leadership who were leading their people straight to hell by protecting a system that barely resembled anything that God had ever intended. On Tuesday and Wednesday, there are more controversies, and then Jesus answers questions from the disciples, mostly voiced by Peter, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives with the disciples. And this is called the Olivet Discourse. On Thursday, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, shares the Passover meal, indicates that Judas would betray him, institutes the Lord's Supper, delivers the upper room discourse, predicts that Peter will deny him, sings a hymn with the eleven, and then heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
late that night and possibly after midnight, after praying in anguished submission to going through with his coming sacrifice on the cross, while his disciples slept. And then Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested by soldiers. And the disciples take off and flee into the night. Friday begins with Jesus facing a series of three religious trials, going before Annas and Caiaphas. And Peter does indeed deny him three times. And then Jesus goes through three civil trials, going before Pilate and Herod, and then back to Pilate, where the crowd, incited by the Jewish leadership, demands crucifixion, and Pilate complies, condemning Jesus to death. Jesus is then led to Golgotha, carrying his own cross most of the way, and nailed onto it between two criminals, one of whom would believe right before his death. I want to now read Luke's account from chapter 23, verse 44, through almost the rest of Luke's gospel. If you'd like to turn there with me as I read, beginning at Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, or 3 p.m., while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared 
and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it 
and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us in the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remember, Jesus' resurrection proved that he is who he claimed to be, and he accomplished what he claimed to have come to earth to accomplish. What does the resurrection of Christ teach us? What exactly does the resurrection prove? First, that Jesus Christ is indeed deity. He is God. Romans 1 verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And when Thomas saw the risen Christ and believed he declared, My Lord and my God. Second, that all who believe in Christ are justified 
declared righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. In Romans 4, verse 25, Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, the resurrection is God's declaration that he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for human sin. Third, that the power by which Christ was raised from the dead is the same power at work within true Christians. Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the process of being able to be prepared for eternity with the Lord, where there will be no sin, is empowered now by the same power by which Christ was raised from the dead. This process is headed in a certain direction. God's work in us will be completed. The power by which we live is his resurrection power, not our own personal strength. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Fourth, that death is not the end of this life. In fact, death is defeated for all who by faith are united to Christ. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The other side of this coin, that death is not the end of this life, is also true. And that's the fifth point, that Jesus' resurrection is also the pledge of a final judgment upon all who reject the gospel. Acts 17, verse 31, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. A lot to remember, but each part of it was given to us because the Lord knows it's exactly what we truly need to know and believe and consider carefully and always remember. Remembering what Jesus' resurrection teaches us and proves to us 
means that complete forgiveness can only be found in him. That true rest and peace can only be found in him. That your only hope is only found in him. That real life is only found in Christ. Please bow with me in prayer. O Lord, our God, we praise your name as we consider who you are and what you've done to unite us together in Christ forever and ever. The immensity and grandness of your plan to redeem us to be your people humbles our hearts in awe and wonder. Although we cannot yet gather together physically to sing your praises, we know you hear our voices and know how our hearts yearn for you and for one another. We are glad to be able to depend upon you and thankful that in these strange times you are working in us to show us your faithfulness in so many new ways. Yes, O oh Lord, we need you. You are our life and the lover of our souls. Thank you for doing for us in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Magnify your name through our lives and show us how to better love and serve you. May the risen Christ be glorified this day through your people around the whole world. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Our benediction is from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In case you didn't reply out loud, it is now time to do this one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks.